I've had the opportunity over the last several years to have quite a bit of interaction with um, a lot of new instructors and guides, whether it's been at conferences or on courses, um, guide training courses, staff, um, or even just kind of noticing the trend in the outdoor industry um, with more prominence towards um, guiding and being a guide uh, and more, I think, seemingly more people trying to get into that and also kind of committing a little bit more to it, like, you know, more IFMGA guides coming out, more young people kind of going through the process um, and more people kind of inspired to do the work. And I, I'm always curious when I'm confronted with all these people, like, why are you here? What do you want out of this? Why do you want to be a guide? What does it mean to you? Um, and I, I always wonder how much people ask themselves that question. Because quite frankly, um, I never recommend this line of work to anybody um it's dangerous it's pretty low pay um it can be really inconsistent it can be very stressful um you know it's hard to make a living at it and and have some of the more standard american type ideals in terms of standard of living like a house or cars and stuff like that you know if that's what you want it's kind of hard to do that it often requires a lot of travel um which is fun in some ways but also very tiring um and when you'd rather just be home with your family um oftentimes so you know like why do people want to do this work um i i often tell people that if I could shut this part of my brain off, my guiding part of my brain, I would have done it a long time ago and would have just laid it to rest. Um, but I have not been able to lay it to rest. So, I mean, everybody ha has a reason, I would assume, to do this work. And I don't really want to put judgment or value on different people's reasons, even though I feel like some reasons do have more validity to them, in my opinion, than others. But, I mean, everybody does it for some reason. But I think you have to really ask yourself, why are you doing this work? And accepting the fact that you are making life-critical decisions. And this is more relevant towards guiding in terms of maybe climbing guiding or skiing guiding. Um, or any kind of guiding where there are actual kind of more life-critical decisions that happen on a regular basis, not like I'm going hiking. Like there's usually less life-critical decisions happening. But every day when we're out on the, the cliff, you know, if we don't tie someone in correctly or their harness is not done correctly or their belay is not done correctly or any myriad of, of s small details that can become big details, someone could die. Like, ri like literally right in front of us, someone could just hit the ground and die. And it would be our fault. You know, regardless of who was belaying or whatever, or whatever the injury is, it's still going to be our fault if we're in the guide's position. Um, barring some like weirdo, you know, event of someone untying and jumping off, which everybody like talks about, like that doesn't happen. It's like, you know, the percentage of that happening is incredibly small. Um, so 
barring some outlandish thing like that, you know, it's really our fault. Um, so why would we take this risk on? And and if you're going to do this work, are you actually willing to accept that risk? Because you have to. Otherwise, you're not doing your job. You're not really, you know, you're not really coming into this fully informed. And if you're not willing to be like, I'm responsible for someone's life or lives today, then you should really do something else for work. Um, and there are a lot of jobs out there that are responsible for people's lives. You could drive a bus, you know, you could fly a plane, you know, there's, you could be a doctor, you know, but, you know, we have kind of like this direct input oftentimes with the outcome if someone lives or dies. Um, and that's kind of a huge responsibility, especially considering that, you know, guides are expected to have 100% survival rates. And how many doctors have a 100% survival rate? I guess it depends a little bit what kind of doctor you are. But, you know, a lot of doctors don't have a 100% survival rate. When you're, If you're a cancer doctor, you don't have a 100% survival rate regardless of how good you are at being a doctor. You could be the best in the world and you're still going to lose somebody, right? But guys are supposed to have a 100% survival rate. And um, not every guy does. And have to go out and do that every day. It's kind of stressful. Um, so why are you doing this? It's worth reflecting about this. I tried to be somebody else. You know, I, I guided pretty significantly from my late teens into my early 20s um, and got on a lot of different terrain and got to do some cool stuff, thought about a lot of things. And then I got burnt out and got performance anxiety and then stepped back. And then that stepping back ended up being 10 years, you know, 10 years of not guiding, doing something else, doing still stuff with rope. I mean, I was a rigger, so I still did a lot of rope work because my mind tends to work pretty well in that sense. And, you know, I got pretty damn good at that, um, at least in regards to the where I worked and, and what I was expected to know and do. Um, kind of made tight tighter there, which was kind of cool. But there was always a piece of me that never let go of the guiding part. There was always a piece that was in the back of my mind thinking about it, you know, and I was also fortunate to do um, a little bit of training here or there um, with Mainbound, but not too much as that that 10-year time went on. But, you know, I was really fortunate that, you know, I had friends that were going through the IFMJ process and um, every once in a while they would call me up and say, hey, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? And I'd be like, oh, I think you should do this or I think you should do that. Or they're going to take their exam and I'm like, just relax. Just remember terrain here is going to be your your work the terrain, right? Do this, you know, and then even got to go out and help them train for their Alpine exam and then kind of stepped right back into it and realized, well, I can kind of hang with the big boys if I want to, um, which was kind of cool. Um, and people had... Well, asked me about if I get back into guiding and some of my friends who were guides um, suggested that for several years and it never seemed right because it's like oh I, that's too much work I have to go back in and get my woofer again and you know get go you know start climbing more regularly again and, and so on and forth and it just didn't make sense until I was really stuck and I was like well I'm kind of done with this boatyard thing I'm kind of reached where I think I can get to at least here so what now do I do? And then my friend Peter's like, well, you should start guiding again. And for the first time in 10 years, it actually made sense. I also had gone and done a ski trip up in the Gas Bay with my friend Mike um, and helped him kind of lead that, even though, you know, 
I was still kind of somewhere. I wasn't quite a professional anymore, but I wasn't quite an amateur either. So, but that kind of being back in that kind of leadership role or semi leadership role kind of was like, oh, this is cool, and and uh, that kind of got me fired up. And that coupled with Peter's suggestion, I got again made so everything seemed to make sense again. And then I uh, <laughs> walked into to Orono to see John, which I hadn't seen in a long time and talked to. He happened to be there. And I think he was probably pretty surprised to see me come to the door. And I was like, listen, we need to go guide trips up in this area. I want to be your guide, and I'm going to come back and start guiding for you again. And, uh, you know, I originally was thinking just to line things up and that summer and not really do any guiding that summer, but kind of get things kind of all squared away, and then maybe the next year start guiding. And then I just said, no, I'm coming back full time. I'm quitting my job, um, and I'll, I'll be here at the beginning of summer, and um, I hope you're ready for that and uh, it felt good and actually it was great because when I came back I felt like I not only had not lost anything but I had gained a whole lot my rope work was more um, sophisticated I actually didn't lose my rope work you know my interactions with client was more sophisticated you know my viewpoint was more sophisticated and ultimately as much as I want to stop guiding I kind of can't, you know, I'm still driven to keep guiding, um, even though my motivation is getting lower and lower to some degree, or I'm, I'm having a harder time. It takes more to get me excited about things. And, and what gets me excited now is, is not really the Acadia stuff anymore, but, you know, going out and doing the bigger trips, doing, utilizing my full gambit of skills, my navigation skills, my cooking skills, my logistics skills, my terrain skills, my Abbey skills, um, my general mountain skills, my weather observation skills. Like that's more interesting to me now. It's just kind of hard to figure out how to get more clientele to go into more interesting places. Um, but I think if you really want to do this work, especially long term, I mean, I, I get it why a lot of people do it for a short term. It's kind of a sexy job. You get to say I'm a guide, which has a certain amount of cachet to it. You know, everybody's like, oh, you're a guide. Um, you know, it's kind of a little good little ego boost. And uh, and then people kind of burn out after a couple of years. She's like, oh, wow, this is a lot of work, you know, to make any money. You have to bust your ass hard. You know, you don't get paid much and you have a lot more hours invested into your paycheck than you actually have money on your paycheck. I mean, that's just the reality of guiding. Um, and then people move on. They're like, oh, I want to go back to school or I want to get use a use my degree for you know get a job in what i actually have an education in and i think that's all fine legitimate but when you look at the people who are really in this long term at least look at the good ones i think there's the common thread that i see or have seen is that those people are committed to giving their clients a great experience and are committed to their clients and it's not about them traveling all around the world and getting to go places. Like if that's your motivation, that's fine. But I think ultimately it's a very selfish motivation and doesn't really do justice to the client. So the people that I see do a really good job for year after year after year are the people that are super focused on their client's experience. And it happens that their job allows them to travel around for that and that's an enjoyable part as well. But it's still very client-centric. I remember my friend Peter was going out to go ice climbing 
think this was a couple winters ago. I was at his house. And he's going out with some folks he had climbed with before, I think a father and son. And, you know, they weren't, you know, great ice climbers. And Peter's an excellent ice climber. And Peter's very motivated to climb recreationally still, which is amazing. Um, he has a lot of goals and, and can go out and climb some pretty awesome stuff. And and he was going to go out and, and climb stuff that was, you know, very easy to him and in New Hampshire where he lives. So he knows the areas really well. And so it wasn't going to be like this radical day of guiding, you know, for him. It's going to just kind of be meat and potatoes guiding. But he's getting ready in the morning, and I was really struck by it because he was thinking very intently, and he made the comment is, how am I going to give these clients a standout experience today? What am I going to do to give them a standout experience today? So even though he's going out with people that he'd been out with before, kind of knew their drill, you know, wasn't going to be climbing anything particularly hard. He was still like trying to figure out what can I do as a guide today for these clients to give them an exceptional experience. And I think it's that kind of thinking and that kind of passion that leads people who do this long term to be really excellent guides. The ones who are are really worth looking at and um, you know getting mentorship from, in my opinion. The ones who just do this because they just kind of enjoy the trip, you know, but they're doing it for long term. Like those are the guides I see out there, and like you know, they're not really giving their clients a great experience. They're giving their clients an okay experience, but they're they're a lot less focused on that on the clients and a lot more focused on them. And I, you know, that's once again that's fine. That's a choice. But for me, it's all been about focusing on the client, which has come at the expense of me. Um, and sometimes that expense has not been positive for me for various reasons. And I'm trying to balance things a little bit more. So, you know, I'm in a position where I can do a little more stuff for me in the outdoors and, and enjoy that and not just give it all up to my clients and have nothing left for me. So that sometimes that means instead of, you know, working my half day right to the last minute and getting back five minutes late, I give 98% versus 105% and we show up at the shop five minutes early, right? They had a great day. Maybe we got one half of a thing less done than I might have done, but, you know, I didn't have to rush. I got I didn't take five minutes out of my lunch. I, I can just chill out for and have my lunch. My clients still had an excellent experience. Um, and, uh, you know, it's okay. That was okay. And then some clients, you know, you know, it's just like, all right, today's the day that we're going, I'm going 110 for the whole time. And it's just like, this is the day, this is the client, you know, and then putting that in. Um, and that's, that's fine too, you know. Um, but anyway, the question is, why are you doing this? Why are you in this? What are you bringing to the table? Why are you willing to accept this risk? Do you even understand that you are accepting the risk that's another question right there like because you are you're accepting a lot of risk so there better be some payback for you to accept this risk um besides money because quite frankly the money versus the risk you know is not there (laughs) we're not getting paid enough money to accept the amount of risk that we take and especially as you start doing more and more advanced guidings like you know, it's like it kind of makes me laugh when it's like, all right, on our fee structure, it's like you pay this, but if you want to do this harder climbing, you pay an extra $50, which, you know, some of that trickles down to the guy. It's like for an extra 20 bucks, I accept how much more risk? I'm like, 20 bucks? You know, really? Whatever, I guess. 
so why are you doing this? It's a worthy question. And it's okay to say and reevaluate and go, well, maybe I only want to do it for this reason and for these amount of years. And I just want to get what I get out of it. It's fun. And, you know, it's allowed me to do some little travel and meet some neat, pe- neat people. But I'm not going to do this for my whole life because I, I have other goals. And I recognize that this is just part of my journey. I mean, that's fair. Um, so whatever the reason is, you know, just be honest about what it is and um, go from there.